That is Beard, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Young Megan. Hello and welcome to Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast. Here we have... Oh, I'm Alex. I'm Jan. And this is Braden, a.k.a. Doing It Daddy Style. Oh my goodness. I really love it. <laughs> well, now we've figured out something that we want to talk about for no, sure. You don't know that handle? That's my that's, Instagram. That's his Instagram. No, I'm sorry. Forgive me. <laughs> so we started off with a little bit of a giggle here. That's true. But I just want to say, I at least am feeling... No giggles at all. We we, we had a tough day. Did we, he tell you something about it? I, I just, well, I got a piece, but I, I need the full story. Look, and I think we should do it on the podcast. And yeah. we're doing it on the podcast because, you know, we, we joke a lot on this podcast about how, like, oh, my God, they're so crazy. It's so difficult. And I almost wish that we had the microphone in front of us right after all of this happened so that you could have heard me actually crying uh, <laughs> because that would make it so much more authentic, you know. We sometimes just have a morning or a day where the kids are in the wrong mood and we had that today and you know we went it was a wrong day it was a wrong day from like the first minute and we went to drag queen story hour which everyone knows about drag queen story Hour. i did not know about drag queen story (laughs) i mean it's not even pickle telling the story it's not even a gay thing it's like only straight women take their children to drag queen story hour (laughs) but anyway um uh and we wanted to go we've been before the kids have had a good time there and just and the drag queen have been to our house the drag so they knew who she was like in drag yes she she was at her birthday party because you know that's the way we roll (laughs) we got there and one of them just became unhinged and just lost it and the drag queens (laughs) (laughs) one of my children Just clear that up. It's true. The dra- drag queens could at any moment. Could, <laughs> but so can my children. And and uh, the thing about it is, it's just it's not really just the stress of like them screaming and throwing themselves on the ground and all that. Although there's that. Well, it was one of them. Yeah, it was so, one of them. But it, but I think for me anyway, it's yeah. it's that used to be something that utterly destroyed me, and it still is very difficult. But I think in a lot of ways, it's just sad because you say to yourself. I so badly want to give my kid a good time and really fun experiences and expose them in, you know, to the world. And why do they make that so hard? All I wanted to do, you know, was have a fun day with my children. And they exhausted me and obliterated me. What happened is an attack from both ways. So one of them had a tantrum about not wanting to be there because in the last minute he wanted to go to the park. Not to go to the story hour. Right. And the other one didn't want to go to the front row where the kids are. He wanted to stay with the parents in the back. Far so, from the drag queen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, so it was a, an attack for both ways of not wanting yeah, to, to do that. Just... And that was pretty, pretty brutal. Well, so now do you guys have those things happen often? Because often you have enough. two boys, same age. Yeah. yeah, extremely different though. Only one of them throws tantrums. Really, the other one does not. That doesn't mean that he's not a royal pain in the ass. They're both royal pains in the ass. It's just that one of them throws tantrums and the other does kind of other things. But and do he, they want to do different things often? 
You mean from each other, different things Correct. from each other. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, they have very, very different yeah. personalities. Does your kids want to do something different? I mean, they're still young enough where they do what dad wants to do. Um, right. But so. well, that's gonna change. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're a prospective dad, this is the most wonderful thing in the world. I will absolutely feel that way. But also, like, there are times when it just takes all the wind out of your sails and you just feel like, my God, like, when is this going to become fun and easy? Last night, Alex and I were talking about what we're going to talk about in the opening of the show. And we talked about, like, when do you think a day is a successful day? Oh, that's a good right? question. Yeah. So when, when well, I was looking end? at your refrigerator and it said, occasionally feed the children check mark. <laughs> that's so crazy. I think that day that that check mark happened, Incidentally, they, that they doesn't always happen. today, we give was, them the was food. a successful day. <laughs> no, but, but, but really, I actually was thinking about it. I may have been intoxicated. I was thinking about this question of like, okay, so even if it's a school day and they like, you know, spent a lot of the time away from you. And how do you know that it was good, right? Um, and and it is really. I mean, at the end of the day, because at, right, it, when the they the fall day. asleep and we're like, mm, yeah, we did it. Today. Yeah, I mean, we survived, <laughs> and we that's sur a good day. I mean, and you feel that it was a good day. How is it for you? Yeah, yeah no, I mean, for me, again, you know, three of mine are, are still pretty young. The three and a half year old is, you know, we have our moments, but he's a pretty good kid so far. Right. And for me, the end of the day, if I have absolutely lost my shit. And we have gone to bed and there is no story time because I just have no patience left. Right. That to me was not necessarily my most successful mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. However, like I think it was last night actually when the four of them are in Kai's bed because we all do books in the same bed then they mm -hmm. get in their own beds. Um, they were all in Kai's bed. We did like four books. We did some of our wow. Shel Silverstein poems. We did our ABCs. We did our numbers. And this was after like right. a five or six song dance party to wear them out. Right. Oh, wow. That to me was a successful day. Yeah. Well, so interestingly, I think that we don't read Maya Angelou before our kids go to sleep. I'm sorry. I'm just I said Shel Silverstein. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Although I do love Maya. <laughs> no, but, but look, uh, so I was trying to come up with my, what my categories are. And so, so one of them was, you know, no tantrums, right? If there was a no tantrum day, that feels really good to me. But then on the, that's sort of on the negative, right? On the positive for me, and the kids are four now, is was there a conversation? So um, yesterday we were having dinner and Jan was in the other room doing something and the three of us were sitting at the table and I had like a full five minute back and forth with them, asking them questions about things and sort of discussing things. I mean, it was ridiculous stuff, but it was like an engaged conversation with my children. And that made it a successful day for me. You know, it felt like, oh my God, I'm starting to have a, a human relationship with these kids and not just like, you know, daddy tells you what to do type of relationship. Right. So I think there are so many different ways of measuring it. And ultimately it's kind of probably how you just emotionally feel at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I think that these categories are really important. Today we're talking about moms. So mom, as we figured it out, Mom is a role, not a gender. Right. And we have Julia Denninson. She's the executive editor of Parents Magazine and Parents.com. She's also co-parenting single mom of a little girl. Uh, we talked to her on the phone from New York. Yeah. She was great. She also um, has this down. 
by which I mean like there are some people who are kind of fumbling their way around the answers to these kinds of questions and subjects, and it's so obvious that she has thought about it a ton, and she came prepared for class, you know, in a in Yeah, a but I think she way. must be, right, because of her job. Yeah, I'm just saying, yeah, she is, she is knowledgeable. She's also a little bit political. Uh, you know, I tried to ask a few questions that I was hoping would um, elicit you know, some kind of difficult answers. And no, she got them. She got them. She was ready for them. New Yorkers. Well, there's that too. All right, let's go to the interview, but not before Alex, you're going to lead us to it with a wonderful, with your wonderful voice. Uh, oh, Ram, like it. But get knocked up. Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast Season 3 is sponsored by Love is Family by ORM Fertility, your gateway to fatherhood. Research begins at loveisfamily.com. Julia, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Well, good afternoon for me. Over oh, here yes, in you're in New York, right. Um, we want to talk to you about uh, moms yeah. today. What do moms think the mom role is? Let's start with this like general question. You know, okay, so I, I went to Vassar and I feel like I have been spouting the whole gender as a social construct thing since probably since I was in the womb, actually. Um, so <laughs> pre, I'm always pre Vassar then. <laughs> I, I just think of my upbringing because I grew up in a kind of, um, I grew up with a sort of like less traditional, I guess, mom role where my mom was working full time and my dad was more or less the sort of caregiver, stay at home, um, parent. So it, it was always flipped for me. So I, um, I just took that for granted. I, I took that as just like how families were. Like I remember, you know, when I was really little, I would ask people uh, their cat's name, just assuming that because I had a cat, everybody had a cat. So I think, um, and then I soon realized that no, not everyone has cats. And it's a similar thing. Like for me, a mom was somebody who went out to work every morning and she worked in show business. Um, so she spent quite a lot of time over there in Burbank and in LA. So she'd be out on movies or she'd be working really long hours and then she'd come home and often, and she'd always cook. So like there were certain things that I feel like were very much, even though she was sort of a less traditional mom role, there were things that she did that were maybe more traditionally mom. So she did a lot of the cooking, but then my dad did a lot of the cleaning. So I grew up kind of not really knowing until later in, in life that like a traditional mom role, you know, watching Leave it to Beaver or, you know, um, like at night reruns might be something different to what I'd grown up. Um, with. And I think that that it's important. I don't like to define what a mom role is, but of course we all have social um, stereotypes and ideas of what is maternal. I mean, even the word maternal has all these connotations. So like the caregiver, the person that the kid runs to, if, if, you know, like they need an extra hug, you know, there's all these ideas of what mom might do. And in the past that might include a lot of the, um, you know, like keeping of the house alongside everything and, you know, cooking, cleaning. And of course now as moms and as women are in the workplace, um, just as much as men, these ideas of what makes a mom or what makes a woman are really, really changing so that I think the rest of the world is starting to be just as confused or just as changing just as much about their idea of what a mom, what a mom is as, as I was as a little girl growing up with a mom who did a lot of the kind of less, the more kind of traditional dad breadwinning dad role. So, um, so I think it's very complicated. <laughs> you know, I, I think that on this 
podcast with all of these gathered people, including yourself, it's going to be necessary to do a little bit of devil's advocate work because we're all going to be we're all going to be uh, largely uh, in agreement with at, at least the higher level concept of of what you're saying. Uh, so I'm going yeah. to do, I'm going to do a little bit of that here. Um, oh, cool. And I think that's important to do because you know we're not there. Yeah. I, so, so I think when it comes to the more uh, pr- practical day-to-day stuff, like you know who washes the dishes or who works in one field or another field, that seems kind of obvious. It's something that has changed across the board, at least in America. But I do think that there are a lot of people who are asking a, a deeper question, which is. Um, there are differences between men and women. What are they? I don't know. We don't know. But there are differences between men and women. And um, as a result of of those differences, even if you can't put your finger on what it is, is there an importance? Is there a basic importance to having both uh, of these genders present in the upbringing of a child? Right. So, okay, so let's talk about our general, the general idea of what it means to be maternal. So um, you've got that kind of caregiving side, you've got that kind of cuddly, loving, the person who's just there for their kids all the time and makes, you know, bringing up their kids very central to their life and everything that we associate with being maternal. I think that those are, and talking about feelings and being the one to be really um, checked in, knowing their teacher's names, knowing... Um, their, you know, friends' names. There, we've been doing a lot um, at Parents.com around the, the what we call the mental load of parenthood. So, um, basically, the idea of like who's the one who's making the doctor's appointments, who's the one that's setting up the going to the PTA meetings, and that is predominantly moms, and it continues to be. Um, all of those things are good things. I mean, I think that it's not. We're not saying that um, that that. Uh, parents don't need to do any of those things. I think it's just an opportunity for dads to do more of what we we would you know generalize to be the mother's role. Um, there's nothing you know wrong with talking about feelings. On the contrary, we did a piece recently that showed that the more um, emotionally intelligent children are, the better they do in school, no matter how much they they study and whatever the age they are. So, if being a mother means talking about emotions and and nurturing and you know that cuddly coddling side we see a ton of benefit from that so i think whoever does that it doesn't have to be um it doesn't have to be a mother but you know i think that there's benefit to what to that sort of maternal relationship within um between the parents and the children so julie if i may so this is brayden Uh, My husband and I both worked until uh, our son was born, and I have a three-year-old and I have triplets that are one and a half. Uh, We made the decision for me to stay home, and so I am at home full-time, and I do have a nanny because we do have four kids. And I guess my my question would be, I hear you, (laughs) and I definitely am more of the caretaker. I'm what I assume you meant to be more present in the kids' lives, meaning I'm the one that takes them to school, I'm the one that knows all their friends' names, does all the planning, things like that. However, back to Alex's question, uh, for me personally, we chose a female nanny because I just think there is something that a female has that I necessarily don't have no matter how hard I try. What is it, Braden? Well, <laughs> I wish I knew. I, it's, it's a little bit more, at least for us, our dynamic, it's a little bit more patience, mm. um, a little bit softer, I think. I can definitely talk about feelings, but I am also... 
a little more demanding, um, a little bit harder when I educate. And I think with, you know, with my mom there or with our nanny there, there's just a different vibe I get between them and the kids. What do you think, Julia? A minute ago, you were talking about the idea that um, the role could be fu- could be fulfilled by uh, either gender, any gender, I guess I should say these days. But it's a matter of what the qualities are that you're listing. Do you think that there's something that there's anything that's endemic that you got to go to the woman for that? I'm kind of I'm kind of allergic to that narrative. I think just because as a woman, I don't necessarily want to be pigeonholed that way. But saying that, I see what you're saying. Um, but I also feel like it's the exception that proves the rule. Do you think, um, Braden, that you might be able to find those same qualities in if you if you looked hard enough in in a man and some man somewhere in a, in a man who was a it was a nanny? I think probably. But you're right. I mean, society has its way. And, you know, women do tend to be um, a certain way sometimes for societal reasons. So um, I think you're more likely to find those 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 um, features in a woman just because of how society, how as women were brought up in society. But that's not to say that you couldn't, I don't think that you couldn't find that at some, somewhere in a man. Well, no, I, I would agree with that. And I think a, a lot of the difference is exactly what you just said. It's how we were raised and the traditional male-female roles, and especially in America where Boys are told not to have feelings. Push this down. Don't cry. Boy, so, did they fail with me. <laughs> my, my thing is now, I'm like, the next generation, what's going to be really cool to see is these kids raised differently, even by gay men, who are trying to do the opposite of how they were raised because they've seen some of the damage mm. that this has done. So I'm really right. excited to hopefully see how my kids turn out and, to your point, mm-hmm. see what they become and without society's construct around them. Well, society's yeah. construct is still there, but I think I can overpower. <laughs> You'd have to have superpower strength. Um, it's hard, you know, because it's amazing. I mean, I have a daughter and she's almost four. And like I said, I'm sort of um, resistant to all those gender um, stereotypes. And so I um, have been really you know, eager to bring her up in a way that's fairly gender neutral. But it's amazing how she turns around and, you know, wants to play princesses and wants princess dresses and loves pink and talks about pink all the time. And and I think, where is this coming from? It's not coming from me, but it's, of course, coming from her friends and coming from school and just, you know, and, and probably in subconscious ways that I do treat her because she's a girl, because it's really, as you say, it's really hard to shake off, I think, those societal norms and they are in their deep. So. so, Julia, you reject the notion that I, I'm I'm totally serious when I'm asking this question. You reject the notion that somewhere in the biology of someone with an XX chromosome setup is um, an attraction to soft, frilly clothing and um, a, a softer and more, um, blah, blah, I don't know what the language is that I'm looking for, yeah. princess dresses. Do you reject that notion just hands down pretty much yeah okay fair fair enough i will give you one thing so i have two boys two girls um there are no women in our house so we do have a a nanny like i said but she doesn't walk around with her purse or high heels or anything like that (laughs) and my girls as when they first could first walk they would go grab empty shopping bags put them on their elbow and walk (laughs) around the house if they see a pair of shoes anywhere they have to put them on and walk around in those shoes. I did not do that. They did not get that from me. And their brothers gravitate towards things with wheels. Do you have a TV? I, do I have a TV? Yeah, but they don't watch TV. Mm. We watch no TV. I think we watch Bubble Cuppies when they were little. It's very, I do think this is also, I do think most of that is society. But it's very insidious 
and really hard to figure it out. Because to your point, I was the same. And all of a sudden, here's my daughter, um, you know, wanting princess dresses in pink. Look, keep in mind, mine are one and a half. They don't go to school yet. So they're not really exposed to outside influences other than what goes on at home. I hope you don't have plastic shopping bags. Haven't those been illegalized in Los Angeles? Pla- the paper ones. Oh, like the high-quality ones. Okay, fine. You home, it's right there. Very well. Um, Julia, so there is, other than the sort of taking care of the children and the kind of um, you know planning and support and warmth and all of that, there's another factor, too, which is that when they grow up, uh, what is it, like 51% of the population is women. Does a kid lose out? if they have parents of the same gender because uh, they will not be exposed to half of the gender population that they're going to end up living with, maybe dating with when they grow up. So there are very few women in our kids' lives, right? Although they have teachers. Well, in school now it's different. Right, that's true. At the beginning. Um, And so the question is, what happens later on in their lives when they start dating, when uh, they're just exposed to women, and women were not there in the very earliest phases of their lives? What What do you think about the effect of that for good or for bad or for neutral? So I think you have to go back to to thinking about what you want to get out of that relationship with a woman. So if you're thinking it's about being more in touch with your emotions, if you're thinking it's about being more caring or sympathetic and all these traits that we associate with women and with mothers, um, I think that there are ways to instill that without having a mother around. Um, I think where it is influential influential and interesting is as a role model. So if your uh, daughter grows up to be a cisgender woman, um, <clears throat> Or even, you know, for little boys, it's they, there's been a lot of um, evidence that seeing women in working and seeing women in high power positions and seeing more women, um, you know, running the show, that that is a role model that and seeing women sort of breaking gender barriers is really important just, you know, for everybody, but especially for, for little girls to, to see that. So I think um, there is something to be said to talk about, you know, to, to expose them to women who are um, in sort of non-traditional roles and who are kind of kicking butt and really doing well for, for themselves and also, you know, exposing them to whether that's through friends or whether that's through the media, et cetera. So I think there's something to be to be said for, for that. Um, and then, you know, I think in terms of the biology and dating and everything that goes with that. I mean, you're making some assumptions about how your kid's going to grow up. I mean, are they even going to, if, if you have a little girl, are they even going to grow up to, to, um, to date boys? Are they even going to be, um, you know, are they even going to grow up to be a cisgender woman? You know, are they even going to grow up to be a woman, even though they were born a girl? Um, you know, I think sure. there, we're living in a society where there's so many outcomes. But I mean, of course, when I think about my own childhood, of course, there are biological moments, you know, when you get your period or when puberty starts and you might just feel more comfortable talking to a mom who's been through it. And I get that. But then, you know, there are things that my daughter's dad has been through. Say my daughter grows up and has anxiety. If he's had anxiety, he might be better placed to talk to her about that. So it's like, there's always something, and I don't think necessarily just being a woman and being a mom is going to tick all the boxes anyway. So just tied to that, then, we're, we're living in a time, you know, in the Me Too movement, et cetera, right now, where there's a heightened focus to, to the way, uh, well, men and women interact, but primarily the way men treat women, not just sexually, um, 
uh, but also just in terms of, you know, uh, normal interaction um, uh, and in the workplace, for God's sake, too. It's not to say that in the straight world, you know, parents have done a particularly good job of raising their boys and their girls to handle this, um, obviously, or else we wouldn't have this problem right now. But do you think that a man uh, and a woman can provide or do provide different input um, when they're teaching their children about the future and how they should interact with, let's say, women. Let's just let's just do you know raising a boy uh, in in terms of how uh, he should interact with women in the future. Do you think that that's something that any parent can teach equally, or do you think that there is a function that uh, a woman might be able to serve differently than a man? That is a really good question, and I think t- the answer is that if you have been through it, it's going to be easier for you to be talking to your children about it. So all kinds of things, to your point. I mean, there's consent. I mean, that's sort of at the top of the the, the pyramid. Um, but there's also, you know, interrupting and mansplaining and, you know, taking up space and letting women speak and everything that, that um, we're talking about as a society today. Um, I think, I think having, as a, as a cisgender woman, having experienced it all, I think, um, you know, I can speak from experience and, and I can get heated up in a way about it because it's been so close to home. But I think, I don't think necessarily you need to be a woman having had experienced it, uh, to talk about it. But I do think that there is a duty to be, to speak about these topics. Right. I mean, and and as I said before, I think that it's pretty clear women have had, you know, thousands of years to teach their little boys to do it better. And they haven't done yeah. a particularly good job of it. So it's obvious that, you know, neither men nor women are doing that well as parents. And that's got to get right. better. Because women also have stereotypes about how little boys are. The whole concept of boys will be boys. I mean, women say that just as much as men. Right. Moms say that just as much as dads, you know. Right. And, and and I have had some experience, you know, as a as a parent, we have twin four year olds, um, where as I've gotten to know a lot of other mothers at school, um, I am amazed by some of the language that comes out of their mouths that, you know, <laughs> that seems to set up that boys will be good boys quality. And in fact, the kind of embrace of the idea that the girl is going to be um, the weaker and more. Not all of them. No, not all of them. Absolutely not. No, and, but you can hear it. I know what you mean. Um, and then the minute that they know that we're gay men, they start to feel it's so funny. It's like meeting your priest. They're oh. like, they're like, oh, oh, they must be woke. So they start to use woke like language with me. And I'm like, I'm not that woke, but go ahead. Oh, I love it. No, I'm thinking like maybe it's just um, maybe it's just uh, you, Julia. You live in New York and we're in LA, and I'm thinking maybe it's just a bubble. Like I always come back to it, but oh, it's, it's definitely a bubble. Being from Indiana, it's it's a bubble. <laughs> because, right, it's a bubble. Y- you know, it's, I, still, it's I, important. What's your advice to the yeah. Midwest? What do you tell them? <laughs> oh, God, don't get us in trouble. We love the Midwest. <laughs> you know, I'm from the Midwest, so I'm allowed to say. Okay, it. fine. Our audience is pretty national and we have a ton of um, audience members in the Midwest. And, um, you know, I, I remember, I think it was Food Inc. where they said that the minute Walmart was selling organic food, you knew that we were getting somewhere. <laughs> and I feel like it's the same thing. Like you're starting to see big brands um, like Mattel even um, 
selling gender neutral toys and gender neutral gender neutral dolls. And it's becoming, a, you know, I, I, you have to give everybody credit. I think it's becoming much more um, in the common vernacular and in the zeitgeist to be thinking a little bit more more gender neutrally when it comes to how we raise our kids. Um, and I think it's just think about how I think just try to be really mindful about how you interact with your child. Are you interacting with them differently because they are a boy or a girl? Are you trying to push a certain kind of toy on them because you expect that that's what they want to play with? Even when people say, oh, like boy moms, oh my God, boy moms, like let's commiserate. I think even that is sort of problematic right there just um, because I mean, I, my, I, I have a feral three and a half year old and she is a girl and all those things that, um, that I associate with when I hear people talk about boy mom, being a boy parent or boy mom, I feel like I can relate to right there. And of course I don't have a boy, I have a girl. Um, so I think it's just about thinking outside the box. Um, we're not saying that your, you know, your daughter shouldn't like pink and like princesses, but like, you know, instead of saying the language you use around your daughter, for example, instead of saying like, you're so pretty and using using um, adjectives about her appearance, maybe talk more about how strong she is and how awesome she is mm-hmm. at, um, you know, playing on her scooter or whatever. So I think it's just like little things about how you're using the language and just thinking a little bit outside the box. Right. Listen, I am very supportive of, of a girl wanting to, you know, wear a princess dress or whatever, but I am actually opposed to pink. I really hate pink. I think it's a it's a non-color that doesn't know what it is, and it upsets me. I agree, me. and here my daughter loves it, so, no. you know, clearly She's, Your daughter is it. wrong. <laughs> You're listening to Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads podcast with Alex and Jan and Brayden. And we're taking a break in the interview uh, because we want to sum things up a little bit. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Is it not English? It's Your English is impeccable. It's flawless. You have the best words. Please continue. <laughs> yeah. The social stereotype uh, about what is maternal. Yeah. So do you guys agree that we can all do that? No. As, as dads? No. Why not? Look, we may be able to fulfill what... Can I just... Uh, just Say what you, sure. what we decided it of is, or what we said we mentioned it yeah. is uh, cuddling, love, f- talking about feelings, sensitivity to the kids' needs, being softer, and being softer about education. Okay, so I take back what I said before. In that, if the question is, can a man satisfy? I'm not talking about men. I'm talking about gays. Gay dads. Well, whatever. Amen. I'm not going to do that. Amen to that. Amen. RuPaul, seriously. Um, so can a man fulfill the characteristics of the stereotype? Yes, sure. But Julia was very careful to uh, distinguish between the stereotype uh, of the mom role and, you know, man and woman and be able and she said and she believes that uh, a woman and a man are capable of satisfying those functions i think that's true too but what i don't know i'm not a theoretical sociologist i don't you know or psychologist i don't know the answers to these questions but i have trouble with the notion that a man and a woman do not have any differences other than the purely physical that contribute 
to what they themselves contribute to a child. I can't. That just seems too easy to me to say, well, no, what? there's no difference. A man and a woman, it's the same thing. Brayden, what do you think? Can you yeah, do that? I mean, well, I, I completely disagreed with her. I fell kind of where I really don't want to fall, fall on the issue, whereas I don't, I agree with Alex. Oh, really? Which is and rarely funny said by anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm, I want to be Team Julia on this. I really do, because obviously in our position, it would make me feel so much better if I didn't think my child was lacking even one little tiny thing by not having a female right. as someone raising them. And I went to the point where, you know, we have a female nanny, and I feel like that helps, right. helps right. my case, which I don't anymore. So now we're back to square one. Right, um, right. So we're, we're going to do the best we can, I guess. I, and I think that I think that in this um, uh, modern time in which we live, um, people are trying so hard to avoid talking about differences between men and women when it implicates um, or indicates a negative factor. So, for example, you don't want to say that women are different from men in that they're mm, physically weaker. <sighs> don't say that, right? But you're allowed to say, oh, you know, women are so much better at multitasking than men, right? We have this kind of bent that says we're allowed to talk about the separations or the differences between men and women as long as it's spun in a certain way. And my feeling is, you know what? There've got to be differences between men and women. Can they be can they be exacting where all women are this way and all men are that way? No, that would be stupid. That is impossible. But to generally say that there is no benefit to a child having a woman in their lives as long as, you know, the men fulfill all of the right characteristics. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I think it's important that a child have a woman and a man somehow close to them in their lives. I understand, but I don't think it's about being a, having a woman in their lives. It's about the mom role and what and can we provide it? And I say I'm 80%, maybe 90% Team Julia. I think that I can certainly provide my kids with cuddling love. Yes. I Check. talk to them about feelings. Check. I have sensitivity to the kids' needs. Check. I am a little bit softer than most dads. My God, he's made of titanium, <laughs> but fine, very well. And the only thing I disagree with Julia is yeah. about, I think if we had girls, yeah. then I'd probably would have problems talk, talking about their period or whatever, like all the girl stuff, because I haven't been through this. I don't know. Listen, so when some of the boy stuff starts happening, I'm going to run. And probably, yeah. Life. And probably this is my, my lacking as a, as a straight dad. Right. I can't talk to my, if my sons turn out straight, I wouldn't be able to talk to them about, you know, what to do with, uh, I don't the, know, the, with <laughs> football and, and, <laughs> Oh, with the football. The football. That's where you were going with that. What, and, what you do know. you do with the football? <laughs> with the, and the other thing. Look, look, I, I guess what I'm saying to with go the back the JJ. is... That, is I that, said that. Is that the list that she made... I, she I didn't agree. make that list. It's like something that I collected from all the things that we talked about. And I guess what I'm saying is that there is something not that easy to define in being a woman or being a man to which... There's value to a child being exposed. So what I'm saying is this: Let's say it's a boy, um, and the boy and and the boy is going to grow up in an environment where there are no women. And remember, I'm not talking about who the parents are for a minute. Okay, I'm just talking about an environment where there are very few women. But the, no it's women. not existent. Oh, it's I not. I disagree. It's, 
I disagree. Okay. And what I'm saying is that there is benefit to women being around and men being around, that mix being around in the raising of a child in ways that we don't really understand fully, but the diversity is important. We always talk about how important diversity is, like in the workplace. Well, yeah, but what about you know, diversity the teachers are the women. Home? I don't know. Anyway. Uh, if you guys disagree with Alex like I am, please write to us at hello at daddysqr.com. And let's go back to the interview. Uh, in the second part of the interview, we talk about homogeneity between the parents, regardless of the gender, and uh, guiding your child to be comfortable with the differences of your family structure. Can I just point out how yeah. beautifully you just said the word homogeneity? Thank you. Which is not an easy word to say. I have to say I practiced it. <laughs> All right, let's go. If a man can raise a child um, uh, contributing the characteristics that we used to uh, attribute to a mom, and that's a good thing, it raises the question, is there basic value in having parents that are very different in their approach to you? Homogeneity between your parents, is that naturally a good thing? Or maybe there's value in the heterogeneity that can come, mm -hmm. whether they're of the same or different genders? Yeah, no, it's really, it's really interesting. I mean, it's nice to have that good cop, bad cop, isn't it? <laughs> um, I'm not going to get into which one you're associating <laughs> with which, but go ahead. Right. Um, you know, I think it's okay to talk about how you parent differently. And it's okay to say that one person is the caregiver, one person might be more naturally nurturing seeming, like they're just more comfortable being the nurturer. Um, whereas the other person might be more authoritarian. We talk about different kinds of, um, of parenting and everybody's different. It, it, a lot of it is based on how you were brought up, how you're comfortable. I think, um, but I think we're starting to see that there is a ton of benefit from being really clued into the emotions and supporting your child's feelings and, you know, really kind of engaging with your child as another human, not just the sort of hierarchy of being the parent telling your kid what to do. Um, for example, sample, Janet Lansbury is somebody who I love, and she talks all about that kind of engaging with your, your child as like another human. Um, so, I, I mean, I think like there are all kinds of ways to parent. And I don't think there's never a right way to parent. I mean, we're all figuring this out as we go along a little bit. Um, and I think distinguishing between different kinds of parenting between yourself in a couple is is a good thing. And, you know, it's fine to say to your child that, you know, mom, mommy tends to be or, you know, daddy tends to be more nurturing and mommy tends to be a little bit more authoritarian. Maybe talking talking about how you parent your own feelings is always a good thing in front of your kids. Um, so I don't think that there's, I think there's probably, it's fine to be different. It's also fine to be on the same page and, you know, but like, you're never always on the same page with everything when it comes to parenting. Um, I think it's always good to kind of agree ahead of time what, how you both want to parent your child for a certain amount of consistency. Um, but I would just be wary of associating those with mom versus dad. But I think you can talk about the differences between the two parents, no matter if they're two dads or mom, two moms or mom and a dad or, you know or otherwise yeah but you know i'm looking you have a you said you have a three and a half year old yeah so ours are four and i think that for like from what i'm seeing they're really understanding the difference between between a mommy and a daddy and they talk about yeah. it even though we it they learn it only from school and from seeing other other kids how do you think kids at this age perceive that 
It's still, I mean, it is, you, you open up so many children's books and you, you know, I think it's just like we were talking about before. It's so deeply ingrained in, in society and how we talk about, um, everything is structured on this sort of, you know, nuclear family concept. It goes way back. I mean, like you could even argue capitalism is based on the nuclear family. Um, it's, it's really hard to shake. And I think that it's just, um, so everywhere that from a young age, especially, you know, reading books and picking up books and seeing to, to parents, it's so common that kids are going to start to have these ideas of them. And, you know, as somebody, I'm a, so I co-parent with my, um, with my daughter's dad. So, and we share our time half and half. So I have my daughter for half time and, um, and so I'm home on my own as a single mom with, with my daughter when I have her. And when we're reading story time and we're looking at books, I, I often wince because, so many books are about like how wonderful it is to have mommy and daddy. Um, and it's, they're always under the same roof and like, it's hard cause it's sort of like this, it's painted as this sort of ideal and my daughter doesn't have that. So then I'm sort of like, well, she does, but it's complicated. Um, so I think you're starting to see more children's books just, you know, more diverse children's books. And I think that's a step in the right direction. Just exposing to your child to as many different situations as possible is can only be a good thing. I am tired of having to keep in my head, okay, say dad and papa instead of dad and mom in this book. Cause that's what I do. I you, literally mm-hmm. just you change. translate the yeah, book I, as you go. I translate. Yeah. Because yeah, he can't actually, recognize yeah. the word yet. My older uh-huh. son. So I literally translate, but it's, it takes a lot of mental energy to not just default to what you're Sure. Eyes are looking at. And I do, do you, that too, actually. Do you, and books. do you wear a flowered sundress when you're reading the book to your children? <laughs> um, I, I do not. Um, you can just say Disney because that that will capture the fundamental concept that the woman is weak, and if she doesn't find a man within a certain amount of time, she'll die. <laughs> which is, I think, you know, the the yeah, the earlier Disney. The, yeah, they're changing. Oh, they're changing. They're changing. Hey, they're changing. It's still, it's still going, you know, um, <laughs> the traditional love. Love, love path. So anyway. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but anyway, but the reason why is because I guess I feel like part of my responsibility as a parent is to teach my children that that is in fact the predominant and prevalent way that uh, people's families exist. I don't want my kids to think that they are in the majority or in the norm. I don't. I just want them to be comfortable with the fact that they're not in the norm. Do you agree with that, Julia? That is really interesting. I I sort of feel like Esme, my daughter, is so exposed to the norm. Um, everybody, it feels like I'm the only single mom in her in her nursery school class. I think I'm, I might be, uh, or we're the only divorced parents co-parenting. Um, so I never have the I never have the concern that she won't be exposed to to the to the norm. Um, I think I'm just more concerned with like mixing it up so that um, so that she's less sort of aware of the of the norm if that makes sense no i i agree and that's why i do the same thing he's exposed to the opposite of what i do at home every single day so i try to give him a little bit more normalcy sure to our relationship at home and the most important thing is at school there is another child in class which he just happened to befriend very well and i'm i've been friends with his dad for 15 years but he also has gay parents so mm-hmm. we talk about it all the time you know, so-and-so mm-hmm. has mommy and daddy. You have a, a daddy and a papa. Jake also has a daddy and a papa. Right. right. So we, we point it out and we make it really prevalent so he understands there are all these differences, but there are also people like you. Julia, how do you think you guide your child to be 
comfortable with the idea of this difference. Because, you know, sure, we're in the bubble, you guys, you in New York, we in L.A., but even in the bubble, uh, ours are the, uh, our kids have only one other set of gay dads in their classes. Um, ben, ben has. Adam doesn't have. Well, that's right. And, um, and, and so ultimately, um, it's really, at least it seems really important for our kids to understand you actually are in the minority and slash but that's fine. Yeah, it's interesting because I um, separated from my daughter's dad when she was one. This is all she's ever known. So it's I'm still at a place where she's so young, she's not even four, that she's not really even aware of or very conscious of the differences. And for her, the fact that she has daddy's house and mommy's house and splits her time is just like life. She's not... She, I know it's coming later where she's going to, I'm going to have to explain myself. Um, but it's not, we're not there yet. Um, but I am kind of waiting for that, that moment. And she hasn't talked too much about, um, you know, why is it that, you know, her friend Emery has a mommy and daddy at home. It's sort of a little bit too sophisticated for her at this, at the, at this moment. Uh, but I do think it, and it is really important when it comes up to be honest um, with, with our, our children. And, um, and like, for example, I think Mr. Rogers was always so good about that. Um, he would always just talk about feelings and he wouldn't avoid it. You know, these really heavy topics like death. I mean, Mr. Rogers would tackle that in his show and his whole thing was like, don't lie to the kids, talk to the kids and be honest. And I think that you can't pretend that it's not different. Um, but I think it's important to sort of put that within a context of like a lot of people have differences, you know, for you, you have a mommy house and a daddy house. Um, for other people, they might have two daddies and, you know, yes, there is a sort of traditional idea of what it is to a mommy and daddy under the same roof, but like that is changing so much. And I think you're seeing statistics where the the non-traditional family is going to start to outnumber the traditional family by, I think even next year. I mean, it's like, what is even going to be the norm when these kids grow up, you know? Right. So all within context. And I do think that there's a responsibility. I feel like just, you know, myself as a cisgender straight um, mom, I think it's important when I am talking about how, people, how you know, characters and books and how people fall in love, just to be careful about, you know, talking about like a man, necessarily a man and a woman falling in love. It is sort of now you have to be like a man, you know, a man or a man or a man and a woman or a woman and a woman or people just fall in love and then, you know, they can get married. It's just changing the language that you grew up with too and being conscious about that. And I feel like I do have a duty as a parent today in 2020 to do that. You know, agreed. And every now and then I like to praise my mother on this show, but very rarely. I like don't want to do it too much because then she gets a big head. Um, but one of the things that she and I think my father did was somehow they imbued in both of their children a sense of maybe a, a little bit of a, a kind of an ornery independence. I'm not sure. But but um, before we had questions uh, about why we were different, I mean, in, in our case, when we were little kids as Jews, for example, why, you know, why were we different? Long before that even happened, I think my parents had sort of... Um, imbued in us a sense that being different was actually really good. It was special. Yeah. It was uh, it was something to be proud of, such that when it came, um, it didn't ever come with shame. So whether it was discovering that being Jewish was different or later on in my life, you know, discovering that I was gay and, and saying to myself, you know, okay, that's another difference of mine. It is not mm -hmm. a reason to be, you know, ashamed. Um, mm -hmm. I, 
I think that in parenting, we can actually start to build that into our kids even before the questions start coming up about like, oh, well, why am I the only one with two daddies in the class or, or something like that? Yeah. Totally. And this sort of dawned on me one time when we were at my daughter's recital um, and everybody else had the sort of two parents in the audience. And then I looked at us and we had, you know, because of my situation, we just have very much more of the village. So, you know, we had my grand, my, my parents, her grandparents, we had, um, we had my, my ex and his girlfriend. And, you know, it was like this huge, like we, we took up the entire row of family <laughs> members and there, you know, we focused so much on the negative what they're lacking. But then that just when it dawned on me that like, for what she's lacking, she sure made up for it in a lot of other ways. So I think sometimes it's about thinking positively and thinking, you know, on the, the good, the good side of all these differences to your point. Sure. You know, it's yeah. kind of interesting to see that even if they when they play with dolls or something like that, it's mommy and daddy, they don't play daddy and daddy, or whatever. Yeah. Do you see that yeah. happen with you too? I, yeah, I, I do. I and like I said, I think these the sort of gen gender ideas of you know, the traditional family runs deep. Um, and I see that with my daughter too. You know, she is talking about, she's always talking about mommy and daddy and like mommy and daddy together and stuff. But it's like, it's not in a way where she's like, I wish it was like that. It's just like you, like you said, it's just what, what she plays, you know? Yeah. If I catch my kids playing Barbie and Ken, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring a, like a Doug doll in and I'm going to say, Oh, you know what? Ken just figured out, and then Barbie goes off, and and Ken and Doug are gonna. You don't you don't like my my parenting plan? Uh, sorry, never mind. We'll cut that out. I, no, you know what? I think that that's not necessarily a bad idea. I think the more we, um, it's really it's, it's nice to play with your kids. It's nice to be. We always say really try and engage your kids on how they're playing, and I think you know talking about that's a perfect perfect example of when it's a, a nice time to bring it up. You know, just make it part of the play. Right. Uh, <clears throat> poor Barbie. Poor Barbie. I have a lot of she doesn't. Well, Barbie. you know what? <laughs> Barbie has her dream house. She has that uh, Malibu. She's fine. She, she's, yeah. fine. She, she's fine. And she should. You know what? She should also stop being so plastic. She should. That's right. Well, I think at that really constructive moment, uh, before we let you go, can we ask you to just tell us a little bit about uh, what the role and the mission is of Parents.com? Sure. So we're, our mission is really to be informing parents, um, helping them every step of the way, answer every single question they could possibly have around parenthood. Um, and really just, we have, um, we're working on a mission statement now that's called Raising the Future. And it's just the concept of, we have a, a big responsibility as parents to raise the next generation. And in some ways it's the most important job. And so we treat it as such a parent's Wonderful. Do you guys have an article that explains why ever since I had children, everything is sticky and there are these like substances that you don't know what they are and everything is covered with dirt and blech. Do you have something about um, that? Yeah, we have plenty of that. And okay. actually that's good. We have, we also, we also have a lot of articles on how that's good for the kids. Messy oh, for the kids. <laughs> Not for us. Oh God, no. That we, we also have, we also have articles supporting the parents. <laughs> Julia, thank that. you so much for joining thank us Thank you so today. much, Julia. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, we're back from the interview. Uh, this is Daddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast. I'm Jan. Still Alex. Still Braden. Um, I grew up with Mr. Rogers. I mean, really, I am exactly the right age for Mr. Rogers. And all I can say is I wish that we could take 
every senator, congressman, and the other guy and force them to watch like 25 episodes of Mr. Rogers every day before they go to work because it would change the world in, in every way possible. And look, it, but seriously, when I think about the message that that man was delivering in the early 1970s and realize that what he was teaching back then is what we're only now in the bubbles of New York and California and wherever are starting to deliver to our children in terms of race and gender and sexual orientation and religion and all this kind of stuff. Talk about a man who was so incredibly ahead of his time. Right. Yeah. You know, it reminded me that um, last night when we, uh, when we talked, remember when the kids were in the bath? We yeah. talked about, you, you asked me, like, when do we start to, to talk to them about how to treat girls? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How to, and you said that uh, at this age, we don't talk about girls. We talk about how to treat other people. You know, I can't explain me too to my four-year-old boys. It's too young. It's too confusing. But I do think that if you start teaching respect in a flat way across, you know, and I think our school has done it, this idea of my body and uh, sort of respect for my boundaries and things like that, I think that's a good start. And at a certain point, and boy, I'm not sure I'm looking forward to this date when I have to try to figure out how to talk about this, we have to start talking about why maybe it's a little bit different for the way you interact with a woman than it is for the way you interact with a man. I don't know how I'm going to get there, if you guys have any ideas. Well, I mean, just something that crossed my mind when you guys said that, of course, I'm from the Midwest slash South. Mm-hmm. So when you say how to treat girls, my mind immediately goes to, well, you hold the door open for them. Right. You pull your right. chairs yep. out for them. That's how I was raised. I still, to this day, will say yes, sir, no, ma'am, even though I'm 30 so, or something. From um, what age do you remember? Oh, man, since I was young. Oh, really? And I think... And again, this is coming to me as you just said that, but I think maybe that's an early way to start teaching them uh, the type of respect that you eventually will translate into a Me Too type conversation. But then I also don't want to be sexist. Right. I mean, there are feminists who will tell you that that actually is establishing a uh, differential between men and women, which is actually a contributing factor to the Me Too stuff that comes later on. I actually disagree with them. Yeah, I disagree But there are plenty of people who feel that way. Um, And if they feel that way, they don't have to walk through the door. (laughs) And they don't have to sit (laughs) down. But my two boys will be raised that you hold the door open oh. for anyone in general, but mm. specifically if, if they go on a date, if they yeah. go on a date with a girl, you pull her chair out for her. It's yeah. not that she cannot do it herself. It's mm-hmm. a form of respect for me. Just to make this clear to some very young people who might be listening, um, you don't just pull the chair out, you push it back in. You're not, <laughs> it's not a Groucho Marx type of thing. You're actually helping them to sit yes. down. Not so she falls on the floor. <laughs> Daddy, sqr.com. This week, Alex uh, introduced me to an article in the New York Times, which is a blessing by itself because, you know, I read only Us Weekly. And <laughs> do you read it or do you look at the picture? No, I just go over the headlines just to be updated. Gotcha. It's called How to Make Your Marriage Gayer. It's by Stephanie Kuntz, and she's the author of Marriage a History. I read this. It's also, read this? It's, also an, I it's, it's also an op-ed, not an article, but just to okay. be clear. This should be studied, I'm yeah. telling you, because look... What I did, <laughs> I summarized and highlighted yeah. the the important parts, and because I think that I I, I agree with that so much. It's I mean, I, sometimes piece. I look at my straight friends and I'm like, 
look, we just did you a favor with the gay marriage because we're going to teach you now how it's done. I don't think I'd <laughs> come at it quite as arrogantly as you just did. No, because you, you know, said, but listen, yeah. they say that gay relationships are basically much happier rather than straight people in straight marriages. And I truly believe that it's true. I think and it's way too of simple the, a statement. And some of the reasons why are really important for the development of, of relationships. I think it comes down to two things. Number one, in a gay relationship, you don't have Mars and Venus. Both partners are from the same planet. And there is a possibility of a more basic understanding uh, between each other as a result of being of the same gender. So I just think that's kind of a, a, an interesting foundational element. But the other element, and I actually think it's the much more important one, is this. Gay relationships were a no-no. They were a no-no forever, right? And that means that there were no expectations of us. Even the ones that were very progressive would say, um, well, yes, I think it's wonderful that you guys are together. But that's not marriage because the Bible says that marriage is between a man and a woman. My point here is this. I'm cringing over here. Yes. Yeah. My point here is this. As we've started to get married to each other, we're in a position where it's almost a blank slate. We can say, you know that thing about marriage? That's wonderful. We're going to take that. You know that other thing about marriage? That's stupid. We're not going to do that. And unfortunately, men and women have a, a harder time breaking the things that over hundreds or thousands of years haven't really been working for them. I think that's what she means in the article when she said that gay men are relying less on stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Marriages. Now, but but I do want to I do want to also emphasize this. I I guess this makes me a bit of a conservative. Um, I believe that there's tremendous value in respecting history and respecting the learning of our elders. So it doesn't mean we shouldn't re we shouldn't reject things that are dumb, but we shouldn't jump to a conclusion either that says, you know what, you know that whole marriage thing? We're going to throw all of it away and start from scratch. I think that there are some elements of what marriage has been that are are powerful and valuable and good and other elements that we should look at and say this doesn't actually work. Do you want me to read from my summary what she says is the difference? Sure. Okay. So she says that um, gay men are usually divide the housework and child care the most equally, uh, rely less on stereotypes. We talked about that. Uh, less likely to uh, assign women's work to one partner with the, with, that works less right. know, than the other. Yeah. Um, children living with same-sex parents usually get to spend more time with their parents. That's interesting. I don't know what that's, why that happens. But okay. Do they say parents or do they say the father? Both, both are, no, well, so because they say that uh, uh, she says that uh, children in the same sex family are equal to the time that they spend with the mother in a, in a it, heterosexual. It, oh, I see. Right. So in average, it's more because there are two men. Okay. Okay. Um, about handling disagreement. So being open to the other one's opinion and stuff like that, which is uh, more for gay couples. Uh, they offer more encourages and praise to each other. Mm -hmm. Is it true? Alex? No. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> She blew that one. Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, and then about preferences uh, about sexuality. So se sexuality is more open for gay men. Um, right. And they talk about it more. And then emotional, they offer an emotional support when it's needed and not as a given thing, which is something that she says that 
you know, in a heterosexual relationship, it's mostly that the women take it for granted that they have to take care of their husbands. Right. And for gay men, it's not like a given thing. It's like we have to take care of them when they actually say, say that. Brayden? Opine. <sighs> I mean, I overstep anyway, and I try to take care of everything that I can possibly think of for both of us. But I, I did that before we were ever parents or married. Um, yeah, I... I mean about half those things on her list, but it goes back to your point, Mars and Venus. Yeah. Now that's yeah. not because they're gay. That's because it's two men versus a man and a woman stating that there are differences between men and women. Right. It's so. very much related to, to our interview. And it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of the of the episode, where we were talking about uh, these gender roles, right? You've taken the womanly energy out that can cause trouble but it can also cause greater understanding well i disagree about the womanly energy it's it's the thing about gays no i don't know i don't know i've never been able to wrap my head around that concept that you're your being gay somehow means you have more womanly energy than than being straight. I don't know. Maybe well, it's true. I, so I've also had my own issue with that because everyone, you know, growing up in Indiana, it's if you're masculine, you're straight. If you're feminine, you're gay. Right. And I can promise you, all through school into college, I had a lot of completely straight friends on the Kinsey scale that were feminine. My college roommate had long hair and shaved his legs. Right. He, to this day, is one of my good friends out here. He is straight. Whereas I have some gay friends, and you can look in gay society, that are extremely masculine. Right. So those, to me, have always been two separate things that society has just wanted to pair together for eons, even though right. we've proven it wrong. All right. If you guys want to comment about everything that was said in this episode today, please write to us at hello at daddysqr.com. You can also text us or call us and leave us a message at 213-793-8939. And just to let you know, in addition to possibly wanting to use some of the stuff that you uh, send to us to talk about or to read out on the podcast... Jan has a bulletin board behind him uh, where we print out some of the really lovely things that we've received or funny things that we've received. Um, yeah, it goes on my wall. It goes Ever. on the wall and it, it is such an amazing thing. It's, it's our, we share an office in the house and it's such an amazing thing to have up on the wall. So we love receiving these things uh, no matter what they may be. Um, and, and Well, I, I print only the good ones. So. <laughs> well, right. Right. Yeah. No, not all the Nazis don't get a lot of space on our walls. So sorry, guys. <laughs> Brayden, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. If you're thinking about having kids, start your search at loveisfamily.com by ORM Fertility. For over 30 years, ORM Fertility has been at the forefront of fertility services, providing personalized care and helping all family types grow. ORM are honored to be a trusted resource for the gay community on their journey to parenthood and are now sharing all they know with you at loveisfamily.com. ORM's expert team gives gay parents-to-be all the information they need and guides them through their unique fertility journey, providing expertise, education, and support every step of the way. Over a thousand gay couples and singles from all over the world have started or grown their family with ORM's support and fertility and financial expertise. 
Find out more at loveisfamily.com, ORM Fertility's online resource for gay dads and LGBTQ plus family building. Daddy Square. Daddy, that's QR.com. <laughs>